about now. Here we go. From the top of the Empire State Building on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York, this is a special all-calls edition of Trump Watch, The First Hundred Days, a series exploring the policies and pronouncements of the new administration. I'm today's host, Jesse Lynn. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just unnatural, dog is off sabbatical, rather watch the dictation, politician, politics, CNN and all this, Juan, yo, move with your f***er, Trump and an SNL hilarity, troublesome times, kid, no time for comedy. We're a city in which people, regardless of documentation status, know they can report a crime or if they're a victim of a crime, can come forward, witness to a crime, they can come forward and know that information will be used to keep us all safe, but it will not be used to deport them. That fundamental compact that goes back in this city decades through Democratic, Republican, and independent administrations here in New York City is one of the reasons why we became the safest big city in America. And we're not gonna undermine the progress the NYPD has made over a quarter century. The spirit of this executive order runs contrary to our character and our values as a city, and I would argue it runs contrary to the character and values of the United States. Now, as we've looked at the executive order just in the last hour or two, we do want to let the people of New York City know that there is less here than meets the eye. This executive order is written in a very vague fashion. We believe that not only will it be susceptible to many legal challenges, but that it will meet with tremendous public resistance all over the nation, that there will be a, a fundamental sense of unfairness recognized in this executive order, and that the legal issues that will be raised could fundamentally change the outcome. I want to note that we believe we are on solid ground for a legal challenge to the executive order should the occasion arise and be necessary. Specifically, among other reasons, specifically because some recent years ago when the federal government tried to withhold unrelated funding from states in a similar action, none other than Chief Justice John Roberts wrote an opinion in the Supreme Court case NFIB versus Sebelius, 2012, which prohibited the federal government from broad brush withholding of funds, and Justice Roberts wrote that such an action would be the federal government, quote-unquote, holding a gun to the head of states and cities. Mayor Bill de Blasio at a press conference in New York City yesterday reacting to President Donald Trump's executive order threatening to stop federal funding for so-called sanctuary cities like New York, Boston, and Los Angeles that refuse to involve local law enforcement in deporting nonviolent, undocumented immigrants. Hello and welcome to a special Thursday edition of Trump Watch, The First Hundred Days. Since we're stepping out from our normal time slot Wednesday evenings at 6.30, we wanted to do something a bit different. For the next 30 minutes or so, we'll be taking your calls on the subject of what you would tell our new president if you were able to have a 30-second face-to-face and he had agreed to listen to you. I've got a pretty good idea of what Mayor Bill de Blasio, who met with Trump before he was sworn in on Friday, would tell the new commander-in-chief about uh, 
his new executive order anyway, give us a call. The number is 347-335-0818. Again, that number is 347-335-0818. Imagine that you've arrived in the Oval Office to find a lucid, even polite Donald Trump who is willing to sit respectfully, silently, and hear what you have to say. What would you tell him if you only had 30 seconds? What would you want to say? President Andrew Jackson, sworn into office in 1829 and generally considered our first populist president, was famous for opening up the doors of the White House and allowing the general public in. What if Trump did the same? By the way, it was reported yesterday that President Trump has selected a portrait of Jackson to hang in, in the Oval Office. Okay, let's go to the phones. Hello, you're live on WBAI. Please say your name and where you're calling from. Um, hold on. I would say that you're very sick. You want your name first. Hello? Hello. What, what, what's your name, and where are you calling from? Yeah, my name is Miguel. And where are you calling from? All right, hang on one second. got to run upstairs. All right, I think we got to go to the next caller, Miguel. Uh, sorry about that. If, if you're calling, make sure to be in the place where you can talk, everyone. So anyway, um, you know, to be clear here, this is not... Uh, first of all, we should probably say that FCC rules still apply. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, this doesn't have to be for people who oppose Trump. If you voted for Trump, would you tell him why? Would you tell him um, what you hoped he did? What policy really made you want to become a Trump supporter? Would you tell him about how you stood out in the rain for four hours to get a, a, a view of him at Inauguration Day? So anyway, uh, again, that number's... 347-335-0818. We're going to go to our next caller. Uh, hello, caller. You're live on WBAI. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hello, my name is Peter, and I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York City. Hi, Peter. And I, hello. I would say that it seems to me that I would say to Trump that the biggest threat, I think, to in, in their international security is the Israel-Palestine conflict. And I think all this upsurge in Islamic terrorism is a direct result of the Israel-Palestinian conflict. And what would you and, tell them um, to do specifically? I would say that mainly we have to be more neutral. It's, it, it, America really, really has been hell-bent on supporting Israel over the Palestinians. And we have to shift America from an Israeli alignment, Israeli-American alignment, to a very neutral one, where we where we really just act as um, peace bringers, and we don't prioritize Israeli peace. We've been vetoing all these um, um, bills against Israel and in NATO, and um, and where all the international countries usually they vote against Israel, and we're the only ones supporting Israel. I think that we're too one-sided towards Israel. Are you referring to the UN, the, the recent resolution yes. that President Obama you, signed? Yes. Did you think that was the right yes. move on the part of our former president? Yes, but I think that we should have been doing it a long time ago. I, it, 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 it came too late. We've been, we've been supporting Israel too much too long, and now we have to take a much, much more neutral, balanced stance. Well, Peter, thank you so much for calling. Please call us again, okay? And uh, 
You're listening to Trump Watch the First 100 Days on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio New York. And uh, the topic that we're exploring today is that if you had 30 seconds uh, to make your pitch to Donald Trump uh, about what you'd like him to do, about what you'd like him to hear you say, uh, then um, what would you say to him? We've got another caller here. Uh, caller, please go ahead. You're live on WBAI. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yeah, my name is Miguel. I'm calling from Bay Ridge. Okay, Miguel. I think Yes, you... I spoke to you a moment ago. Okay, but right. Got we got cut, cut off. off because, of the, yeah, we, we couldn't wait for you to run upstairs, but it's great to have you back. So, Miguel, what would you like to tell the new president? Well, I would like to say that Donald Trump is suffering from multiple personality disorders. So this is what you would say to his face the, in, the, in the Oval Office? Well, I have that a list. Has. In 30 seconds, I could say. Okay, let's, let's run it down. Okay, as long as it doesn't have profanity. The <laughs> egomaniac. So you would say this first person to him, you're an egomaniac, you're, you're... You're a bigot, a racist, you're ignorant, you're spiritually vacuous, you're a sociopath, you're a misogynist, you're a compulsive liar, you suffer from rapid reactive impulse, you're easily offended, you're childish, selfish, demonic, self-centered, a control freak, a hate monger, and you have defense mechanisms, you suffer from grandiosity, you're, ins- you're an insult freak, you're heartless, and you are a fearmonger. Well, don't hold back, Miguel. Tell us what you really feel. That's what I really feel. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. That, uh, that's quite a litany right there, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are probably uh, cheering right along with you on that, But um, just as there could be some that are, are, are maybe not on that page. But is there anything that the new president could do to win you back? If he came out tomorrow and said, look... I've said some terrible things. I, I, I've I've done some things that were, uh, you know, discriminatory. I'm going to try to turn over a new leaf. Is there anything he could say that would win you back? He would have to um, listen to advice and not take things on a personal level. He has to talk with Congress. He has to consult with people. He can't do things on his own because that's showing grandiosity. And and he's personalizing his presidency. So he already has money. Now he seeks the power. He has it. Now he's conveying it to the world. And it's not right. Well, thank you so much for calling, Miguel. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you're listening to a special All Calls edition of Trump Watch. And uh, again, the number here is 347 three three five zero eight one eight and the topic we're exploring is what you would tell Donald Trump if you had uh, 30 seconds in the Oval Office to make your pitch to him or just something that you wanted to say to him um, again the numbers three four seven three three five zero eight one eight you know I was reading up recently um, about the inauguration of Andrew Jackson you know I mentioned the fact that Trump has moved the portrait of our first populist president into the Oval Office and it was very interesting um, I, I was actually unfamiliar with this. I, I knew that it was, you know, it's, it followed tradition of, um, you know, people being allowed at that point. There was a tradition that the public be allowed into the White House on Inauguration Day to celebrate the new president. Um, and when Jackson was sworn in, there were crowds of 10, 12,000 people, which had never really been seen in D.C., obviously, you know, dwarfed by today's crowds. But that was nothing, you know, going to Inauguration Day, especially at a time when travel was so difficult, the, you know, uh, 1829, not exactly, you couldn't hop on Amtrak, obviously. 
but anyway, the the point of the story being that that supposedly the the throngs of these people really freaked out the the, the Washington elite, and originally they they sort of shielded Jackson from these people in this crowd, and then the the, the president rode through the crowd, and a horse showed up at the White House and was such a sensation when he walked in to his new home that people actually rioted. Uh, they tore up uh, the White House. They grabbed things off the walls and, and pieces of carpet and drapes. And uh, the only way they were able to get them out was uh, to ply them with alcohol, free alcohol out on the lawn. So maybe populism isn't always the best thing in its pure form. Anyway, a little bit of historical context, especially since a lot of Trump supporters are comparing him to Andrew Jackson. Anyway, we're going to go to the next caller. Uh, caller, you're live on at WBAI. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, oh, my name is William and I'm calling from Long Island. How you doing, William? I'm doing well. So what would you like to say to the new president? I think it's kind of hard. I will be very upfront. Um, I definitely did not vote for the president. Um, One of what I feel is the strongest issue of our times is really environment um, and the changing climate. And I would say to the president, you like winning, you want to win, and you should focus on the long-term winning, right? So not the here and now in this instant, but your legacy and what will be said about you and your presidency 100 years from now. And if he really is focused on bringing jobs to this country and helping us grow, if we look at the ability to make solar panels, alternate energies, I think there's this huge opportunity for him to be the president that really boosted America into a... Uh, an industrial revolution in green technologies. And, and I think he has the ability to do that. I think big business would be on board with that. And I think it would really do a lot for the future of our planet, for all of its inhabitants. And I think that would cement his legacy as a, a truly game-changing presidency. Well, that's really interesting that you bring that up um, because that's an idea that I've seen floating around social media. I think I've seen a couple op-eds written to this effect that Trump is clearly uh, a person who craves uh, attention and craves, uh, he wants to be liked. Uh, And anyone who says that that is me being biased, I would refer them to the predominance that the uh, inauguration turnout uh, compared to President Obama's and the way it was reported in the photos, um, you know, have played in the first week of Donald Trump's presidency. Um, you know, there was an article in The Times today about uh, sort of uh, Donald Trump's new home life. And uh, he they mentioned how he even has a picture of a flattering view of the inauguration on his wall. And he was gesturing uh, the, the throngs there. So anyway, the point being, clearly this is a president that that craves uh, approval, even though his approval numbers are somewhere in the, in, in the high 30s, 40s, uh, low 40s. Um, so perhaps there's an opportunity there for ideas that uh, a big big percentage of the population is on board for things like gun control and, um, you know, like you say, alternative fuels, things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, different ideas, you know, uh, things to combat global warming. Um, 36%, the great Reggie Johnson, my engineer just tells me, uh, is actually where Trump's approval rating is. So if he wanted to get even into, you know, the 50s where Obama was when he when he left office, um, 
you know, perhaps if he um, sort of took on a, a, a more populist and less conservative agenda, there could be an opportunity for his popularity to go, to grow. Do you think that's true? I, I I think a lot of what you're saying is true, and and I would I would really want to focus on the idea that I think a lot of the sentiment that he's expressed that we consider quote unquote populist views are are not inherently bad in in any way. I mean, the idea of people struggling with jobs and struggling with where this country's headed, I think from from and I'm I'm only focusing on a, a purely an economic standpoint and then obviously with the environmental component, I think there's a huge opportunity to look at companies that are for example, you have automotive industry that is already working towards EPA goals, right? From from an overall engineering cycle, it's not like they can turn on a dime. So they're already heading towards the better fuel economy standards to alternative fuel standards. You have engineering companies in the United States that are already focused on how do we make things greener? How do we use less energy? How do we use um, spend less money on energy? And those are all business decisions. They're not necessarily populist decisions or specific to the environment, but that's sort of where I think... But you're the, saying they make financial sense, whatever exactly, you're using them Exactly. Yeah. And I think if you look at the countries that are truly good at manufacturing and creating technologies, higher-end technologies... That's what is in the green, in that quote-unquote green space, right? The green technologies are all higher-end technologies, and that's one of the things that the United States can excel at manufacturing, right? We're never going to compete on a, on a steel part. Our labor here is too high. The raw materials are too hard to get here. It's just we're not set up for that. Um, we can do it on small scale, and I mean, I actually come from a manufacturing background, and we do manufacture in the U.S., but on a global scale, competing on a global scale it really is the higher-end pieces of technology where we have the ability to not only compete but to excel and lead the market. And I think that is one of the great falsehoods is that green technology is counter to big business, to growing the economy. And I think that instead of looking at it that way, looking at it, how many manufacturing U.S. jobs can we create with these higher-end technologies, the higher-priced manufacturing items, and really create some good-paying jobs, that can be done by the same people that were working in steel mills and factories that closed and open those back up, but just do something differently. And I, and I think that's the key is just thinking about what it is we can really excel at given our current labor market, given our current standard of living, given what people expect to be paid. You're not going to be able to support those jobs in a race to the bottom to make the cheapest steel part. What you need to do is come up with a high-end product that no one else in the world is manufacturing on the level or the quality that we're doing, and take that to market and say, look, we're the best because we have the best product. And there's a premium for that, and that premium would allow for manufacturing to come back, but come back in a form that is well-paying jobs. So a plea for green technology from uh, someone with a background in the manufacturing industry. William William from Long Island, thank you so much for calling. Thank I really you very much. It. Give us a call again, okay? And uh, yeah, so if anyone else would like to add to the conversation, uh, again, we're talking about what message, if you had 30 seconds to make your pitch to Donald Trump, uh, what message you would tell the new president. And I believe we have another caller right now. And uh, caller, you are you are live on WBAI. Uh, please say your name and where you're calling from. Hello. My name. 
My name is Diane. I'm a 72-year-old black woman, and I'm very serious about what I'm getting ready to say. All right. First of all, first of all, Miguel need to come back and say everything that he said. He made me laugh, and I needed, <laughs> I needed to laugh. I have a lot of health problems. I needed to laugh. Anyway, what I want to say, his ego has rendered him deaf, dumb, and blind. I don't know the Bible that well, but somewhere in the Bible it talks about eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. The man is hopeless. That's my comment. So, I mean, aside from maybe uh, the the cathartic effect of saying all that to his face, is there anything that you might, you know, assuming, you know, again, I don't know if you heard the, the intro to the segment, but, you know, imagining you're in the White House, you've been invited in to speak your piece. I mean, um, you know, you, you mentioned that, that you've been dealing with some health issues. I mean, what, are you would you ask him to to not repeal uh, Obamacare, for example? No, I wouldn't. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't waste my breath. <laughs> I wouldn't waste my breath. I grew up in a household of people who were deaf, dumb, and blind. And I will even go as far as to say they were downright satanic and evil. Donald Trump is an unclean man. I have nothing to say to him. He wouldn't help me. A black woman? What? Are you serious? A black woman? A woman? And a black woman? He wouldn't do anything. He would have no mercy on me. Well, Diane, I hope that that's not true. Certainly, I can't see into the mind of the man. But here in WBAI, we do care about you, and we're always here to provide a voice uh, to you and and keep the conversation going with our little uh, community here on air and those of you listening at home. So thanks so much for calling. You're quite welcome. And uh, thanks for listening. And and uh, we got we got time for one more call. So if there's anyone who wants to uh, wants to end off the show here with what you would tell President Donald Trump if you were sitting on those comfortable couch cushions in the Oval Office, uh, if you had, uh, you know, 30 seconds um, to, to, to do so. And I think we've got our final caller here. Uh, hello, you're live on WBAI. Please say your name and where you're calling from. Hi, I'm Nicole, and I call him from Morristown, New Jersey. Hey, Nicole, how's it going? Um, I'm a little stressed out uh, over... It's only been a week, and he's already repealed and stood against a lot of what I stand for, and it makes me very nervous. What would you like to tell him? I'd like to tell him that I'm really disappointed in America for electing someone who basically voted uh, on the backs of hardworking Americans. And I would like to tell him that he needs to step out of his bubble and maybe relate to the, the American people, not his investors, not the CEOs. Those aren't, those aren't who you serve, and you need to remember that he's a public servant. Nicole, I'm loving what you're saying, but uh, it's sort of a bad connection. I don't know if you're on speaker or if there's anything you can do to uh, adjust it a little. But, yeah, I, I, I um, is there anything um, in particular uh, that Donald Trump has done uh, since being sworn into office on Friday that is particularly alarming to you? Um, what's particularly alarming, I think, the most is isolating us. You know, I first I was appalled by 
uh, his effect towards the gag rule, and I was more appalled when he insulted the Mexican president and is now, um, what should I say, limiting the number of refugees and people who we've bombed. You know, economies we've affected, we let our bombs in their country, but we won't let them in ours. And I think that's scarcely hypocritical. And I think those two things are what have offended me the most. And and to clarify for any listeners that might not have seen the paper today, this is of course the um, the ban on uh, for 120 days on any kind of refugees coming from six countries, including Iraq and Syria, um, an indefinite suspension of Syrian refugees, and then also you're referring to the, I guess you'd call it a Twitter feud that Trump got in uh, the with the Mexican president today, which ultimately led to uh, the president of Mexico canceling uh, their uh, scheduled meeting for later in the week. Um, do you think that Trump is doing this? That, you know, we did a show yesterday where um, I had a guest, George Lakoff, who's a linguistics professor at UC Berkeley, and he uh, really thinks that a lot of what Trump does, even it, it was about his speaking style, but he extended it to a lot of his his things that are written off by a lot of people as being uh, goofy or, or just uh, uh, silly are actually uh, kind of... Uh, crazy like a fox to uh, paraphrase the professor uh, sort of sort of way of, of dealing with people do you think there's anything like that going on I guess do you think that there do you think there's someone in there that you could reach you know do you think that he is a, a, a block of clay or has he already been sculpted into something really specific that's not going to change um Let's see. That was about 10 questions I threw at you. I apologize for that. Let's just start with the last one. Do you think that he can be changed? Do you think that anyone can reach him? Ivanka, his son? I mean, do you think that he is open to feedback? I think over his history, he's had kind of the same agenda. You know, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And I don't, and this only elevates what people were saying before with his ego. You know, he, he refuses to way from his, his own idealism, which, like, when people have been telling me I should be praying for his success, his success means the misrepresentation, the abomination of, of my rights and, and of people I am close to. So I pray he doesn't succeed in the way he hopes, and I don't know if I could get through that, through that thick head of his. I, I, I really kind of doubt it, and that's what makes me fearful, is that in the first week, He's pretty much, people People thought he, some things he just said for the vote, and he's proving that he was serious about it. And I really don't think he's going to change. I think this, the next four years are going to be the hardest four years for America. Well, it's not exactly an uplifting note, but I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Nicole Sorry from Morristown, that. New Jersey. No, thank you so much for calling. I think that, that uh, your fears are certainly uh, shared by a lot of us, and, uh, and and we really appreciate your feedback. You know, Definitely call us again, okay? Yeah, one positive thing I would like to say, though, is that many people have been, the amount of protests and the amount of activism in the last few months has been phenomenal. And I think we need to see more of that, and we need to protect our right to protest. And I think that's the most positive thing that'll come out of this. All right. Thank you so much for calling. Well, that's going to do it for this week. This has been Trump Watch, the first 100 days. 
a special all calls edition on WBAI 99.5 FM, Pacifica Radio in New York. You can keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag TrumpWatchWBAI or follow me at the handle JLentNews or email me at jesse at WBAI.org. I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in our usual time slot when we'll tackle another aspect of the new administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. Trump and SNL hilarity. Trouble sometimes, kid. Get up.